The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Today, my guest is Matt Merchell from the Orlando Sentinel. We'll talk to him about UCF, big game for the Knights this week with Cincinnati coming to town. Also, College Game Day goes to Orlando to put the spotlight on a school that has been begging for more attention and a little more respect. We'll also talk to Matt about what ails Florida State and Miami and leave the Sunshine State for some playoff talk. Thanks again for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can now find us on Podcast One. We are very happy to be working with those fine folks, and the podcast has taken off since. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. And as usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org, where you can read all of AP's college football coverage. And away we go. Joining me this week on the Top 25 podcast is Matt Michelle. And we bring him in a lot of times and sort of put a, a microscope on the state of Florida because there's always a lot going on down in the state of Florida, especially this week when UCF is going to get its uh, day in the sun, so to speak, or uh, uh, from ESPN with College Game Day going there for a battle of uh, the Knights, undefeated still, and their rivals in the AACE Cincinnati, which is also a top 25 team. Matt, how are you today? Pretty good. How are you doing today, Ralph? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for doing this. And let's start with UCF and the fact that game day is coming down there. Now, it was a, you know, not the greatest slate of games. You have the SEC taking its uh, November siesta weekend. So that sort of clears out a lot of possibilities. And it is a really big game. Listen, uh, you know, first place could change hands in the AAC East. UCF is trying to, you know, run its winning streak to 22 games. So there's a lot going on in that game. I guess the question I would have, though, is, you know, UCF has almost had this, or at least the fans, a little bit of a cantankerous uh, view of ESPN. What is the fan base thinking about getting the chance to sort of uh, be on display via ESPN's big pregame show? Well, I think the fan base is eager to, to let their opinions you know, be known. Um, but I also think they're eager because they don't realize this is a huge opportunity for their campus and for their team and, and for the program to get this kind of national attention. I mean, Saturday afternoon after the Navy game, you know, there was a lot of buzz you know, among people wondering, would you know, ESPN consider coming you know, to Orlando to, to host the, the game day this Saturday with the Cincinnati game? They were looking at the schedule. There are a lot of people – pointing out games that they could go to, obviously Notre Dame, Syracuse. Uh, I think Harvard, Yale was one as well. You know, So people were kind of wondering if, if this might be a, a chance for them to do that. And sure enough, when we got the news on Sunday, you know, you, you could just see the message boards and all the UCF fans going, you know, uh, going bonkers. Uh, I think there's a, a run on a demand for glitter and Sharpies in our area. So, I mean, it's, they're, they're getting their signs ready. They're getting everything else ready to go. They're going to let their, their opinion be known on, on Saturday when Game A goes live. I'm interested to see what kind of reaction that guys like Kirk Herbstreet, who were kind of vocal about, you know, where UCF's schedule was, how he thought maybe Fresno State and maybe Appalachian State or Utah State 
maybe we're stronger scheduled teams. I'll be interested to see what the fans have to say about that. So everybody's excited. There's a lot of game day mania going on in Orlando, and especially wanting to know, you know, what who the guest picker might be as well and, and, and what they're going to see on Saturday morning. Yeah, you, you know, the interesting thing about game day is, and we did this story a little bit recently because it went up to Wazoo, Pullman for the first time, and obviously there's a lot of history with the flag and game day. But the people who run game day will always say, whether it's Reese Davis or the folks behind the scene, the best game day experiences are the places where they have never gone before. Those campuses tend to be, and those schools tend to be most excited. They really embrace the show. They come out with a lot of energy and well-represented. Listen, you know, LSU and, and Columbus and Tuscaloosa, Norman, all these places will are always great spots for game day. But really, the places where they get the best vibe are places where they haven't been or haven't been in a while. So that would make sense to go to Orlando. But I guess the one thing I was I couldn't help but wonder is, you know, and I've tried to get some answers out of ESPN for this and haven't really got anything yet. But what, do you think there's, there should be any trepidation that, you know, the booing, the signs that may be a little negative and things along those lines, something that could sort of spoil the party atmosphere? Yeah, I think there has to be a concern about that. I, I'm with you. I, I tried to reach out to ESPN and, and ask them a little bit. Listen, we know when, when, when Herb Street made his comments about UCF that the fan base was obviously not happy by that. Danny White wasn't happy about that, UCF's athletic director, obviously going on Twitter and, and voicing his frustration. I think there are going to be some fans who are going to boo and are going to lash out a little bit. I think they're going to try to keep it as uh, obviously as clean as possible. But I also think that if you're ESPN and your game day, I think you embrace that a little bit. You know what I mean? You embrace the fact that, okay, you know, this is my opinion. This is what I think is, is going to happen. And, you know, you, you let those fans kind of maybe have a little bit of a moment and see what happens. Listen, I was up in Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago, you know, for the Florida-Georgia game, and game day was up there. And there was about maybe, you know, 20, 30, 40 fans from UCF who had made the trip up to Jacksonville to have their signs and their flags, their UCF signs and flags up there, and, and let their opinion be known. So this is a very passionate fan base. It's a fan base that's got a lot of, of, a lot of people everywhere, and, and they want their voice to be heard. So I think there will be some of that kind of maybe early on, maybe some booing and stuff like that. But I think there are also a lot of fans who are really excited for the opportunity to get their, their program out there and to show people that UCF just isn't you know a, a, a small school. This is a program that's on the rise. Okay, so now the one interesting thing I, I have felt like with UCF over the last couple of years is they have – because the fan base has been so sort of adamant and to the point of belligerent about sort of hammering away that they are being sort of victimized by the playoff system. And not only that, that they aren't being treated fairly, but that what they deserve is literally being taken away from them. Like they deserve a spot in the top four and it's being taken from them. Underdogs are supposed to be lovable. And I think to a certain degree, it's been hard to embrace UCF as lovable because they have taken this very bold approach on one level with Danny White, you know, declaring the national championship. Uh, which I thought was kind of fun and a really brilliant move. I thought it, 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 listen, UCF has gotten a ton of attention. That's Danny White's job is to bring attention to that school. So I think it was a great idea. So on one hand, I sort of like the fact that UCF has taken sort of these brazen steps. On the other hand, like the fan base has made it hard to sort of embrace them because they, they really come at you with like, 
you are either with them or against them, and there's no in-between. And I find myself sort of being a little in-between. Like, yeah, you know, I kind of feel bad that the system doesn't work out to give a little better exposure to these teams. But, you know, you play the 120th-ranked schedule in the country, so, you know, you're probably not deserving of a playoff spot. Like, I think there's a lot of gray area there, but, boy, man, that fan base just doesn't want to hear it, or at least a lot of them don't. Yeah, you know, this is one of the more vocal fan bases I've, I've encountered over the last couple of years. Uh, especially because they have a, a lot of younger fans, you know, fans in this fan base, and they're very active on social media. I mean, if you go on Twitter, you know this, Ralph. If you go on Twitter and you say something, even not not even be derogatory, if you just say something pointing out a fact that you know UCF schedule isn't that strong, you're going to get all sorts of feedback from UCF fans, and I, I think that's why nationally a lot of people kind of have turned a little bit, you know, maybe a, a, a against UCF based on on some of that response. Um, I don't blame Danny White for everything he's done. I, I agree with you. I think what he's done is, is, in a lot of ways, it's brilliant. They've been able to get this program to become a, a national, uh, you know, someone that's getting a lot of national attention. This is only, it was, what, 2010 when, when UCF beat Georgia in the Liberty Bowl, and people didn't even know where UCF was, you know, that they were in Florida. Now you're to that point, they've won a Fiesta Bowl, they won a Peach Bowl, now they're getting game day. I mean, this program in a short period of time, has really kind of made a name for itself. And I think the younger fan base takes that a lot of pride in that and is very defensive when people kind of point out things. But it's hard sometimes to tell people that, you know, this is a very short – I know the program's been around for a short period of time, but they made big steps leaps and bounds-wise. And, yes, the system may not be fair, you know, but it is the system at this point. So they're doing a really good job. They're having, you know, record number of, of ticket sales. They've gotten lots of, uh, obviously, donations and gifts to the program. They had record-setting uh, fundraising last year. They're probably going to do the same sort of thing this year. They're building a new football facility. They've just uh, unveiled a new nutrition center. They're redoing the weight room. So everything right now is, is very positive. This program is in a, in a good direction. So hopefully, eventually, things will, will settle down and, and the fans will, will realize this is kind of, you know, this is a good thing. Enjoy the ride. Instead of being so angry about the playoff system, enjoy what you have right now and enjoy what you've been able to accomplish. A little background that I ho- that you can provide here, because I think there is, uh, you know, maybe to a certain degree, if, if people aren't really tuned into Florida schools, which is understandable, UCF is not a small school. UCF is a massive institution. Can you give me a little, educate the, the people who are, who are far away from Florida, not just UCF as a football program, but UCF as a school is a pretty substantial institution. And, and also how old is, is that university? Yeah. I mean, when you look at UCF, I mean, this is, you know, they're, they're one of the largest uh, when it comes to attendance or it comes to, you know, uh, enrollment, enrollment. Yeah. When you look at it, I mean, they've, they've got definitely record numbers when it comes to enrollment, much bigger than, than a lot of the schools here in, in the state of Florida. Uh, and they're very proud of that. You know what I mean? And, and the football program may not be, may not be anywhere near as old as it's been. I mean, they've, they made the move up, you know, from the FCS, uh, you know, I think it was maybe more a decade ago. And, you know, this program right now has, has had to unfortunately go from, one spot, you know, they went, you know, they were a part of the Conference USA, and then they moved up. They, they, wanted, they wanted to get into the Big East, and they were able to do that, but then the Big East kind of collapsed, and it became the American. And so this has been a program that has, you know, around 1996 was an independent, you know, when it really started. Um, this is a large school. It's a large fan base. It's the only, you know, major school in, in Orlando in Central Florida area. But it is surrounded by Florida. Florida State, you know, Miami, and, and the big three. And so I think there's a little bit of 
when you talk about maybe feeling like a little bit of a little brother complex, I think there's some of that going on because you've always had to listen to people talk about, you know, the Gators and, and the Seminoles and the, and, and the Hurricanes and what they've been able to accomplish. So that's what I mean by sometimes, you know, this program has done a lot, you know, over in a short period of time to, to get where they're at. And it's, it's almost like to a point of enjoy what you've got because there are a lot of programs right now, you know this, across the country that would love to be in, in UCF shoes right now and love to enjoy the kind of ride that they're having. Now, we haven't really talked much about the team, so let's do that. I've gotten a chance to see most of the Temple game and a lot of other games. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I've watched, I watched a bunch of the uh, when they played FAU. So I feel like I've gotten a good sense of this team. And I think the conventional wisdom is they lost a lot of key defensive players. They're really good on offense again. They're maybe not quite as good on defense as they were last year. So maybe they're not quite as good as they were last year. But they've still got some big games to play. What is your read on it? You see them a lot more than I, and you're a lot closer to them. What is your read on this team uh, relative to last year's team that beat Auburn? Well, I think this team offensively is, is a little different. I think well, that was bound to happen once Scott Foss left to go to Nebraska and Josh Heupel came in here. Um, they do run some similar uh, – offensive styles, you know, but again, having Mackenzie Milton back at quarterback, you know, you saw the kind of year he had, he was the uh, AAC offensive player of the year, you know, having him back, he's been relatively healthy at times this year. The offense is, is, you know, still throws the ball and still moves very quickly. I think they're a little more predicated on the run this year than they were in the last couple of years. I think they've got a really good amount of of running backs in in their backfield, guys like Adrian Killings, Taj McGowan, Greg McRae, um, they like to run the football. I think uh, Milton's got all sorts of playmakers around him. Uh, you know, tre- uh, you got uh, Dredrick Snelson, Gabe Davis, Trey Nixon. Um, lots of talent around. The offensive line is, is experienced. They don't give up a lot of sacks. So offensively, this, this team still puts up a lot of points. They score almost at will, it seems like. I think defensively, as you mentioned, they lost some talent there. They lost a guy like Shaquem Griffin, who was really their kind of heart and soul of that defense. He was the vocal leader last year. They really don't have that kind of vocal leader this year. I think it's more of just a, a, a kind of done by, by group, by a team. Um, you know, Randy Shannon's taken over as defensive coordinator. This team is a little more aggressive in a sense of getting turnovers. They've, they've gotten a turnover in 28 straight games. They're very uh, opportunistic in that front. But they're also not one of the elite defenses in the country. They rank 90th right now in, in the nation in total defense. And you saw in that Temple game, they gave up the most yards they've given up all season, uh, all, close to 700 yards to Temple. So one of the things that stands out to me about this defense is they're a great second-half defense. I've never covered a team where things could look kind of bad or on the ropes in the first half. They go into halftime, and they look almost like a different team in the second half. And I think we've seen that with UCF. They, they come in there, and they're calm. They never get panicked, and they think they were able to make those adjustments. It, it helped them out. It helped them out against Memphis. They shut them out pretty much in the second half. It helped them out against uh, you know East Carolina when Milton went down and wasn't playing. And it helped them against Temple. And, and I think that's going to be key for them when they play a team like a Cincinnati this weekend. Okay, so I want to do something. I want to take a little quick break, and then we will come back, and we will bounce around Florida and talk about some national perspective in the playoff and things along those lines. But listen, it's been a weird year in the state of Florida. While UCF is rolling, and we thought that would happen, 
the other three schools have kind of gone in way different directions than we I think we expected. And even some of the you know Conference USA schools are uh, are doing some things differently than we than we sort of expected. So let's we'll we'll wrap around Florida. We'll talk about some uh, national topics uh, right after this on the AP Top Twenty Five College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, and I'm joined by Matt Burchell of the Orlando Sentinel. And we're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. So Matt Merchell from the Atlanta Sentinel is joining me. And let's talk about some we, – we talked a lot about UCF. Let's uh, just do a whip around Florida. And before I get into the, the, the big three, let me hit on USF because it hasn't been quite as good a year for Charlie Strong, uh, which is understandable. They lost you know, Quentin Flowers, who's a dynamic player. They're still being, but they're, they still look pretty good, and they still have a chance to knock off UCF at the end of the season. I'm not sure if it'll be quite as exciting as last year. But there's constantly this bubbling around Strong that like he is sort of looking to get back to a Power 5 program, which is understandable, but I was surprised how it, it, it came up even last year, his first year there. And it seems, again, like his name gets thrown out there for Maryland and... Um, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there are other ACC jobs open up that maybe he could possibly be in the mix there. Do you get the sense that USF is worried about keeping Charlie Strong long term? I think they've got to be a little bit. I mean, you know, you know, this has been in this business long enough to know that when you hear these kind of rumors, they're generally not just thrown against the wall type stuff. You know, there's got to be something out there. And, and you know, Charlie's not said, hasn't said anything publicly about you know any sort of discontent you know being at USF, but um, you know, you got to wonder based on what's gone over the last couple of years, you know, that, you know, maybe he, he's decided that maybe he wants to go somewhere else. Maybe he wants to get another opportunity. Um, you know, I, I think you look at the situation at USF, it's, it's a little bit different than the one at UCF. Um, you know, they are right now working really hard to try to upgrade facilities. They don't have an on-campus stadium. They share the stadium with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, that can sometimes hurt you when it comes to attendance figures because you're not able to, to maybe you know, get the kind of attendance that you would like to be because you know, students have to travel to go to those games. Um, you, know, you look at the fact that they don't have an indoor practice facility. They don't have you know, new football offices. They're trying to raise money and do that. They've got a new athletic director in Michael Kelly. He used to work you know, with the college football playoff uh, group. So there's, there's a lot of kind of going on at that school. And, and I think when you look at that kind of situation, you wonder if maybe Charlie is thinking, you know, this is, you know, maybe it's going to be better somewhere else. Um, I, again, on the field, they, they've looked good, except this year they've struggled a little bit at times. But when you lose a guy like Quentin Flowers, as you mentioned, it's so hard to have a guy just kind of step up and to take over that spot. Um, but they're always going to be now, you know, they're going to always be kind of compared to being second best past UCF when it comes to that kind of maybe that, that level of school. So for me, maybe Charlie is interested in going somewhere else. I'm not sure if anyone else is interested in reciprocating. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple months. Yeah, and I think that might be the right way to phrase it, is that I, I, I could, you know, from my gauge of the situation, is there probably is some desire. And listen, I understand really from any coach. I mean, you know, Scott Frost proved that last year. There is a clear dividing line between the Group of Five conferences and the Power Five conferences, and if you're a coach, at some point you want to be in the Power Five. And you know, while you're not necessarily going to take a um, uh, a broken Power Five program, if you feel like you have a good Group of Five program that maybe can launch you to a better job, you know, these coaches they don't want to wait around too long to get back into the Power Five. 
So I could see where Charlie might be a little antsy there. Let me uh, let me let me spin it to the um, to the big three in Florida. So we'll do the worst first <laughs> because that's always more interesting. I mean, was there any indication that it would be this bad at Florida State? I mean, it, it should should we just say, oh well, you know, it's a bad year or? When it's this bad at Florida State, it, 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 should there be long-term concerns there about whether they got the right guy in Willie Taggart? You know, I don't think we assumed it was going to be this bad. I didn't assume they were going to be a top 25 team. I know a lot of people had them ranked in the preseason in the top 25. I felt like there were still some holes there. I think it wasn't like Jimbo Fisher left you know, the cupboard full, as, as they like to say. I think there were some issues there. We're seeing some of those come to the forefront. The offensive line wasn't nearly as strong as people thought it was going to be. They had some injuries early on, and obviously that kind of crippled what you know Willie Taggart was able to do with that Gulf Coast offense. Again, it was a different offense. It was supposed to be you know faster. It was supposed to be no huddle. It was supposed to be moving. You know, Francois uh, DeAndre Francois, the quarterback, is coming off a, a year where he missed because of an injury. You know, having him kind of step in and take over that offense hasn't worked out as well. He's been beaten up just as much as he was a couple of years ago. And I think also. You know, when you look at the this, this team as a whole, they're very undisciplined to me. You know, I mean, they they get they're the mo- one of the most penalized uh, teams in the country. They do a lot of dumb, stupid plays and get called for things. And and you know, to me, that's just not Florida State football. And I I don't know if you know I'm not one of those people that's willing to to, to give up on Willie Taggart in the first season because I think he's done a pretty good job at stops. You know, at Western Kentucky and at USF. I think you know he's going to at least give him another year or two. But I would definitely be concerned that, you know, you've got to do a better job of getting discipline on board. You've got to do a better job of, of going out there and getting your players to, to kind of buy into what you're trying to do. We saw Willie two weeks ago announce that, you know, Walt Bell was going to take over play calling duties. And basically he said after the North Carolina State game that, you know, he felt like his, he was needed elsewhere on the team, his, his, uh, you know, his coaching. So that to me said a lot, you know, and maybe there was parts, whether it's defensively or, or somewhere else that he felt like he needed to be more of a presence. Um, I think in the off season, what's going to be interesting is does he make any changes on the coaching staff? Does he, you know, do we see perhaps, you know, some transfers? Do we see a guy like DeAndre Francois? If he's not happy. Does he decide to go somewhere else? I mean, you know, I, I mean, there's some, there's some players I think that could, could make a move. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what Willie can do because he's a good recruiter, and I think obviously he's going to be able to get some talented players there. It's just they can't have a year like they're going to have this year. I don't think, and this is just my gut, Ralph, is I don't think they get bowl eligible this year. I think that streak ends, and I think that this is going to be a really hard offseason in Tallahassee. Let me ask you, do you, has it, have there been any signs in recruiting? Because he came in there, and even last year, like on a short year, did a really nice job of boosting – uh, Florida State's recruiting again. It's hard to do that when you're coming in, you know, uh, after just being hired in December. But they actually did a pretty decent job of assembling a nice class that surged up the the boards last year. Uh, are there signs that like this bad season is having taking a toll on Florida State's recruiting? Not to this point. You know, they they rank tenth right now. You know, in in the classes when you look at what they've got, um, they've got 16 commits. But again as we get closer to that early signing period in December, it'll be interesting to see if any of these kids try to flip, you know, schools try to flip some of these kids, especially if Florida State doesn't become bowl eligible, if they lose 
the next two games like they're they're kind of predicted to lose. Um, you know, yeah, I they have to win them both, and they have to win them both to yeah. get bowl eligible. And, that's, and BC, eligible. BC, and Florida, two pretty good teams. Yeah, and I, and I don't think that's going. That's why I don't think it's going to happen. So it'll be interesting to see. And this is why I think Willie has tried to do a good job of trying to, you know, get, show a positive side to all this because he's got to continue to keep these recruits there. Because again, when you look around the state, you know, Florida's recruiting hard, Miami's recruiting hard, UCF is recruiting hard, you know, FAU's recruiting hard. And then you've got these other out-of-state programs. So he's got a, the reason he was kind of hired was he was a good recruiter in the state of Florida. So he's got to continue to get some of these kids and keep them committed and signed because I think they're, once they get some of these pieces in there and maybe they tweak some things, I think they could be right there. But if, if not, if they start losing recruits, then, then it's going to be a lot of pressure on whether or not they decide to keep them or not. Okay, let's, um, let's dive into South Florida. And and Miami, which to me was even is even a more startling descent. Um, there were signs that this could be rough at Florida State. I thought it would be much better, but you know you can sort of understand like, oh yeah, you know they had some offensive line problems. They have players, but they're all sort of at the same positions. Um, I I didn't see this coming at Miami. Uh, I I knew that they maybe were out over their skis a little bit last year. Uh, turnover chain, a little good fortune. Sure, but you know they're looking at possibly missing a bowl too, and this just doesn't make sense that this offense has just gone completely off the rails here. So what what is what is the mood like these days in Florida for Miami, and where did it go so wrong? Well, the mood is, is much like at Florida State. There's a, there's a lot of disappointment. I mean, if you're talking about um, one of the most disappointing stories of like teams in the country. I think Miami's got to be one of the top two or three, you know, picks because, you know, I don't I'm with you. I didn't see this coming. I figured they'd be a factor in the playoff race, to be honest with you, based on what they were able to do last year. But this team has just struggled. They've struggled to find an identity offensively. You know, Malik Rogier, Mark Rick kind of you know, went with Rogier again, the, the returning starter, thinking this would help things out. It really didn't. So then he kind of bounced around into Cozy Perry as as, as a starter and that didn't seem to work out. They've had glimmers of hope, and it hasn't worked out. Um, I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me is this team hasn't you know, really been as aggressive on the defensive side of things. They haven't got the turnovers that they got last year. As you mentioned, everyone was screaming turnover chain, turnover chain, turnover chain last year. They're really not doing that this year. They've only had 20 turnovers. They've also turned the ball over themselves a lot. This is very uncharacteristic for them as, as a team. Um, and, and they just it's almost like they lost confidence a little bit. And, and, and to me, that's, that's huge when you've got a guy like Mark Richt in charge because if you're Mark Richt, you've got to, you, you can't, you're going to have that happen. You've got to make sure this team stays together. You've got to make sure they're trying to do all the things that they, they want to do. Um, because, again, the, the state of Florida, as I mentioned, you know, you're, you're not just playing for this year, but you're playing for the next couple of years. You're out recruiting some of these guys. You don't want to lose some of these guys. You're seeing some guys like Warren Sapp go you know. You know, on Twitter saying, you know, that he's done with, with with Miami and, you know, jump off the bandwagon. And, you know, that's that's not a good sign because, you know, if you're Mark Rick, you want to keep the, the former players happy because they're kind of your connection to that, you know, South Florida pipeline when it comes to recruiting. And uh, to me, that's where, you know, you, you can't lose this. Uh, you can't lose this team. And I would definitely I agree with you. I'm, I'm a little concerned because. Uh, to, to where this happened over the last couple of weeks, this team just seems to have it's kind of listless and has lost its identity. Okay, now we'll, we'll, we'll be brief on Florida because it's mostly good news, I would think. Um, 
you know, I know they had a couple uh, two game losing streak, and the loss to Missouri, I'm sure, was just a grinder. That that I'm sure stung. But you know what? They also beat LSU. So if you flip those two, you're really not in any worse shape than maybe I think a lot of people thought they might be at Florida at this point in the season. And they're heading towards a game against Florida State that they should win. So I think generally people will be pretty happy about the Gators. Uh, that's my sense of year one under Dan Mullen. That you know what? Not a bad place to start. I would think is is where Dan Mullen is after year one no it's actually it's I, I would think it was good listen going into the season I felt like the ceiling was going to be seven to eight wins you know for, for Florida just because I felt like it's, it's it's your first year with a new coach and a new staff you know Felipe Franks was still you know I, I felt like he needs to continue to develop to be the elite quarterback that you see in the SEC I felt offensively there were still some concerns and defensively they, they've lost a lot of talent over the last couple of years so I felt like you know seven or eight wins was going to be really kind of that ceiling. Well, then you know Florida kind of has some success early on, and they get ranked, and they're ranked in the top, you know, top twelve, you know, the college football playoff ranking. And in a way, I almost think that was a bad thing, you know, because I think what happened then is all of a sudden then fan base went, you know, the, the, the everything just skyrocketed, thinking, okay, now we're there, we're going to compete for the East, and we're going to, you know, we're going to get a chance to to, to, to play Alabama and all that. And I think they just weren't ready just yet. And I think you saw that in that game against Georgia. They played tough. It was a very physical game. And then they come out the next week, and they just got manhandled against Missouri. And I think they looked like a team that had just, you know, kind of didn't have any sort of fight. And they sort of looked that way in the first half against South Carolina. To me, if they lose that South Carolina State or the South Carolina game, I think that's a game that would have had much longer repercussions. I think that would have had a lot of people wondering, okay, are we on the right track? Because this is a team that Florida – People thought, you know, would definitely be able to handle that. So seeing Felipe Franks come out in that second half and play the way they did, getting that kind of fire in our offense um, and coming back and, and winning that game, I think was huge for this program. And I think, you know, they'll get to nine wins probably, and I think that's going to be huge for, for Dan Mullen. I still believe they've got to figure out a way to get Felipe Franks, whether it's, it's development or whatever, he has to kind of be that leader. And it's just been such an inconsistent performance from him over the last two years. I don't know what Dan's got to do, whether it's, you know, the, the situations they put him in or, or, you know, trying to, you know, do things in the offseason to get him better. But I feel like, honestly, that, that, that Frank is not really kind of playing up his potential. And he knows it because he's got a guy in Kyle Trask behind him before he got hurt that was definitely going to push him. And he has a guy in Emory Jones who was really highly recruited, uh, you know, Dan Mullen's first quarterback. And I'm sure he's going to get an opportunity as well. So this is a team that's still very much in transition. But I think it's going to have a, a pretty good season, all things considered. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think until they really find their quarterback at Florida, I don't think Florida fans will ever be completely comfortable, right? I think they've been yeah. waiting for the next star quarterback since Tebow. And I think until that happens, and you know, I, I, and frankly, it would be surprising at this point if it turns out to be Felipe Franks, even if next year, uh, what's the kid, Jones is the uh, is the big recruit that they had this year, right? Yeah, Emory Jones. Um, yeah, he's really the guy that's the future. That yeah. Think, so, so, so and, and listen again. I think it's a great place for for Florida to start this year. I think Mullen should be you know very encouraged, and Florida fans should be pretty happy. But I just want, I just get the sense that like Florida fans won't be really feel like okay, we're in good shape until that quarterback emerges, and we might be another year before that exactly happens. So let me let me do this. Let me uh, let me quickly get because like. The Lane train kind of got derailed a little bit this year. We're not really hearing much about Lane. 
uh, which is fine. You know what? Maybe Lane could use a year out of the spotlight. Quite frankly, I think I think Lane's bulb has bul- has burned pretty brightly the last couple of years. But FAU did route FIU in the one head-to-head matchup, though in Florida International with Butch Davis is looking, you know, is, is I think is on track to still win that division. Um, so just very quickly on Lane, though. Uh, FIU's been the better team. FAU won the head-to-head rivalry. Um, safe to say now that Lane is probably at FAU for at least another year. It doesn't look like there's a whole lot of momentum. Plus, there's also not going to be a ton of jobs available. It doesn't look like this year. But are you thinking that we have at least one more year of Lane at FAU and that things have sort of calmed down a little bit around there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think his name is always going to come up, you know, here or there for job openings. You know, I think he's a he's a popular candidate, you know, to throw out there. You know, if you're if you're a fan base and you've got an opening, you're thinking, oh, Lane Kiffin, you know. But I think this season maybe probably has kind of tempered that down a little bit, you know, because again, if they'd gone, you know, ten and you know, ten and three or you know, eleven and three like they did last year, I think his name would definitely be more in the mix for some of these jobs that we're seeing. But I think he likes. You know where where he's at at Florida Atlantic. I think he, he enjoys uh, the opportunity there. Uh, he's talked about that many many times. He obviously must because he signed that big contract, ten year contract. Now, I'm sure that doesn't guarantee he's going to be there the full decade. But you know, I, I think he wants to have an opportunity to see what he can do with FAU. And what, what I find interesting, you, you mentioned that Ralph was, you know, here's Butch Davis over at FIU, and talk about a guy who has that you're not hearing any buzz at all. You know, I mean, when it comes to, like, you know, what's going on in the state of Florida, everyone's talking about Hypo and, and Kiffin and Dan Mullen and everything. But I think Butch Davis has done a great job at FIU, you know, based on what they were a couple of years ago. And, and you know, now that's kind of helped spark this a little. I think that's why Kiffin maybe was, is definitely going to be around for another year or two because I think he, he loves that competition factor, and I think he knows he's going to have to compete not just on the field but on the recruiting trail as well. Because Butch Davis is no slouch recruiting as well. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how that kind of battle comes out in the next couple of years. But you may hear Kiffin's name here or there, but I think he's there for at least another year or two. Is Butch settled? Like, you know, listen, Butch is probably in his early 60s. I'm kind of guessing without Googling here. Um, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't mind a chance at another job. But is the, is the, is the general, is the conventional wisdom, is that, is the conventional wisdom on Butch? Yeah, you know, he's probably just here. This is probably going to be his, you know, his retirement job. He'll do a good job here, and that'll be it. Yeah, I, I, my, that's my guess. I mean, you look at what he's been able to do so far, and, and you know, again, you know, they're going to have back-to-back winning years. They're going to go to a bowl game again probably. So um, he's done a, a pretty good job. He likes South Florida. Um, and, again, you know, you, as long as you can recruit well and as long as the school is willing to, to spend a little bit of money here and there to, to kind of upgrade some facilities – I think things are going to go look up for FIU. I, I think winning, as we know, helps all that. And I think that's one of the reasons why they went after Butch Davis as hard as they did. So um, it, it'll be interesting. I think he's going to be there for, for a while as well. I, I think that's that's kind of settled down a little bit because unless there's just some job that he really feels like this, he can't pass up, I, I just don't see that happening. Hey, so let me, uh, let, let's me let take one uh, spin around the country here or at least a, a, a look at the playoff race. How about that? Um sure. We look. We are taping this before the rankings come out tonight. But you know what? Everybody knows what the rankings are going to look like tonight. They're going to look exactly like they looked like last week for the most part. Because last week was a strange week in that everybody sort of took care of their business. Uh, you know, a little scare from Oklahoma, but every all the highly ranked teams took care of their business. 
there doesn't look like a lot of hot spots on the schedule for this week. Notre Dame might be tested by Syracuse, but there's a, a lot of games in which the favorite teams should handle their business without too much problem. Uh, then we get into rivalry week at rivalry weekend on Thanksgiving and championship weekend. And we could have some shakeups there. So I would put it this way. Where do you think is the most likely spot where we could have some chaos created? Give me maybe one or two spots that you think in the next three or four weeks, this is where things are going to get a little weird and where we won't just have the four that we see on top make their way through to the playoff. Well, I think what's going to be interesting is uh, I think the big 12 situation, you know, I, I think if, you know, Oklahoma, we know Oklahoma can, can score at will, but they can't stop anybody. So, um, you know, I think when they play West Virginia in that, you know, finale, regular season finale, it'd be interesting to see if West Virginia were to knock them off, you know, how that kind of changes up a little bit of what's going on. Um, I think obviously the, the biggest one that everyone's going to point to is, is, uh, uh, Alabama, Georgia in the SEC championship game. You know, if Georgia beats Alabama, you know, and if it's a close game, let's say, does Alabama still find a way to, to remain in the top four? And do we see you know, Michigan wins the Big Ten and we see Michigan, you know, get somehow bumped out, you know, because, you know, uh, Alabama and Georgia find their way in, into the top four? Um, to me, that's, that's an, an interesting chaotic scenario where we, we hear a little bit every year about expansion and push to expand the playoff. I, I got to wonder if I'm Jim Delaney and your and your champion doesn't get in two years in a row, if that wouldn't cause you know a lot more of of a push to kind of think about maybe expansion. Whether it happens, you know, anytime before the contract is up or when the contract is up, I think that would be something that you could see happen as well. And I think Washington State, you know, I mean Washington State's, you know, the the, the Pac-12 is hanging on by thread. You know, they want to get that try to get a chance to get a, a playoff spot. I'm not sure if the, if the conference is, is strong enough now based on what the South looks like and, and what Washington State's going to do, if they can make any sort of chaotic move. So I think Notre Dame-Syracuse this weekend is the earliest one that I think could cause some, some chaos. If obviously Syracuse beats Notre Dame, I don't think the Irish have any chance of, of getting back in the mix. And uh, then that opens the door for a lot of other things. So there's definitely maybe a handful of games that could change the impact of the, of the college football playoff. Yeah, it would be nice to see something a little exciting down the stretch. And you're right, I think the Alabama thing is the most interesting with the the possibility of Alabama losing that conference championship game. And I'll, I'll just let, let's let's leave it at this because I'll, I'll be interested to hear your opinion. Not just not just what you think could happen, but your opinion. I don't know, man. Like I, I'm going to feel pretty weird if Alabama wins, it loses its conference championship game, and I know there, there's no doubt in my mind that Alabama is one of the best four teams in the country. If you just stacked up rosters and put them out there, they could beat anybody in the country. So if if I was just going by that best four idea, but to sort of reward Alabama with a playoff spot. After, you know, they played a pretty good schedule. I, I'm not, I don't get too worked up about the schedule thing. I think by the end of the year, Alabama's schedule, Notre Dame's schedule, Clemson's, they'll all be in sort of in the same ballpark, maybe a little better one or the other. But it's not like anybody's way out of line. But, you know, Alabama hasn't necessarily had a grueling schedule. So to allow them to lose their biggest game, the biggest game on their schedule— when the other teams are winning the biggest games on their schedule and still get in the playoff doesn't 
doesn't sit right with me, man. Like, I just feel like I, and I also wonder if the committee wants to do that, too. If the committee feels like it would be an amazing, interestingly amazing test case. But I really hope it doesn't come to Alabama gets to lose its conference championship game and still get in the playoff. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me is, is going to be, you know, I'm with you. It's going to be really interesting. You remember when all the playoff was being formed, you know, that was brought up the idea of, of, you know, two teams from the same conference getting in the top four and how they were like, oh, yeah, that could happen. That's the way it's all set up. And I think everyone was just like, oh, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's not going to happen. Well, then now we're seeing it. We saw it last year. And now you're looking at this year with the possibility of that happening if this, you know, this scenario were to go be true. I think that would turn a lot of people off. You know, I think there would be a lot of people like, well, they would automatically assume there's a, an SEC bias with the playoff committee. You know, they would say, look, if you if, if Alabama, I know Alabama's one of the best teams in the country, but if you're going to reward them with a loss and you're going to bump out, you know, a Michigan team that's playing probably the, its best football, some of the best football in the country right now, considering they, their only loss was in their, their season opener, um, I think that that would really be something I'd have to question because and I'd, I'd have to know what the committee, what is the justification for that? You know, I mean, I, I and I, you can't just say I test and you can't, you know, it has to be, you know, because again, this is where the fan base starts to get tired of hearing, you know, the Alabama Clemson, you know, uh, debate or, you know, uh, we're going to see this team, these two teams again, and we're seeing these same teams in the top four year in and year out. So to me, if Alabama loses, I would love to see them, you know, as much as it's going to be not get in and, and see someone else get them, you know, see it be Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan, or whatever happens. Because I think that would be, would be better for college football. I think you run the risk of really damaging your product if you just assume you're going to let Alabama be in there if they lose the SEC championship. Yeah, the other thing is, and I remember when Alabama and LSU played, the one part, I, I didn't like it because I just didn't like the idea of a rematch. Last year, Alabama and Georgia didn't play. This year they would play and to have played late in the season. I, I kind of don't know if that's fair. Just like back in 2011, I didn't think it was fair to LSU. Like LSU beat Alabama at home, split with them on the season, but wasn't the national championship. If I'm Georgia and I beat Alabama in the, in the SEC championship game, now I got to beat them again. Possibly that like wh- like yeah. why do I have to do that? And then if we split our two games, they get the big trophy and we get the little trophy. Like that doesn't seem uh, that doesn't seem fair either. We'll see how it plays out. I, I, again, that that seems to be the most intriguing thing. And luckily, well, I shouldn't say luckily. I think Alabama will just simply take care of its business, and we won't get into that argument. But that I think is the most interesting thing that could happen between now and the end of the season. Matt Marshall from the Orlando Sentinel. Thanks for giving us a deep dive on all things going on in Florida these days and a little look around the country. I appreciate you coming on the podcast this week. No problem. Thanks. I appreciate you uh, inviting me. Uh, Good luck this week. And now three and out. First down. Interesting name to be aware of on the coaching carousel. Boston College's Steve Adazio has only a couple of years left on his contract. A strong finish could leave the Eagles 9-3, and three, their best record in more than a decade. How much does BC, with an AD who did not hire Dazio, want to commit to a coach who just last year was showing few signs of progress? Just how much does Adazio want to commit to a school that is still lagging behind most of its ACC competition in facilities and resources? Don't be surprised if Adazio's name comes up at Maryland and maybe Purdue if Jeff Brom leaves for Louisville. 
Second down. There was a report out before I taped this podcast about Colorado planning to fire Coach Mike McIntyre after the season. Now, Rick George, the AD, came out and refuted the report in a statement. However, in the long run, that might turn out to be true. It just could be premature. I've had people in the industry tell me that the relationship between AD and coach at CU is not great. Also, that George, a former football player at Illinois with lots of connections in college football, and also ties to the state of Texas from his time with the Texas Rangers of Major League Baseball, that he is confident he can bring in an upgrade as a replacement to McIntyre. McIntyre's team is in danger of finishing the season with a seven-game losing streak after a 5-0 start. It would be his fifth losing season in six seasons at the school. Third down. The two longest streaks of bowl appearances in the country are in grave danger. Florida State could end this weekend if it loses to BC in Tallahassee. The Seminoles need to win that game and its rivalry against Florida to reach a bowl for the 37th straight season. Meanwhile, Virginia Tech at 4-5 and five faces Miami needing two more victories to extend its streak of making a bowl to 26 seasons. The Hokies still must play Virginia, and they could also try to get a game the weekend of December 1st if they need one more victory to reach six and bowl eligibility. You might remember Virginia Tech had a game canceled with ECU earlier this season by a hurricane. If you're wondering, the next longest bowl streak after FSU and Virginia Tech is Georgia at 21, soon to be 22 straight years. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find us on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.